Welcome to InStrides Podcast, the show that's all about personal growth, experiencing success on your own terms in everything in between. In today's episode, we have Ivan Kirkov, founder and CEO of eSportion Education. His company guides eSport players into U.S. universities to obtain eSports scholarships. Yeah, basically that. So it's for players, okay, not to have to choose between education and their passion. Because in the U.S., it's possible. And now in Canada, it's growing. I am Lara Augusta, a human development specialist originally from Brazil, based in the U.S., and often looking where to visit next. I begin our time together by asking Ivan a little bit about his background and how was it that he got into esports. When I was 16, uh, I was playing tennis, training on, on a tournament. I don't really remember how it went, but like uh, just the person said, if I wanted to go to the U.S. with a, a tennis scholarship, and I, and I was like, yeah, why not? Um, there wasn't like a lot of people that, that I knew, basically no one that went to the U.S. with a with any kind of scholarship or, or tennis scholarship. So, yeah, and it was... Um, also, when I was 16, my motivations for studying wasn't that great, you know, and I knew I wanted to go to university, maybe it, it, it was what my friends were doing, and uh, but tennis and that idea of going to the US to uh, for university, you know, to study and then uh, continue to play tennis was like the main motivation uh, for me to continue study, you know, and also in, in the US, um, they're, they're very flexible with uh, with the athletes and, and the studies. So I went to the U.S. for four years. The first two years, I was in Kentucky. And then the last two years, I was in Mississippi. I transferred. After that, I went back home and decided I wanted to work in sending athletes to U.S. universities. And I started working for a company. And there, I was first a counselor. Then I, I was working in the admissions department. Then I was working in the placement department, placing the students in the university based on their budget academics and, and sports and level. Well, this new phenomenon eight years ago of esports scholarship, esports programs in U.S. universities started to come up. Talking to coaches, you know, and analyzing the webpage, I started to see esports, esports, and I was like, this is interesting. I I know what esports is, but like, why is it in universities? And I started to investigate more and more and more. And I was like, damn, there's universities that are investing millions <laughs> in infrastructure and in programs. And it's like a very good model. You know, it's not like the traditional sports model, you know, that the university gives all the scholarships. The esports programs are, are like well built. So um, I did one year of like market research. I I did meetings with like 80% of the coaches that offered esports programs to know the scholarships that were available for the players, what academic standards there were, you know, the, the top of the exams, you know, the, the, the English exams to the States. And I know all of that. And once I got the general idea of everything, we started esports and education and yeah. <laughs> so now esports education. Well, now I focus mainly on sending students with esports scholarships. And yep, basically, the first Europeans <laughs> and the first Spanish are in are in the US with esports scholarships. Yeah. How has the rise of esports impacted higher education, and in what ways are universities and colleges 
adapting to this trend? Esports doesn't need edu- education. It's basically education is esports, <laughs> basically because um, in higher ed there's so many available things you can do, not just university. They saw a drop on student population. So esports like Gen Z down. Okay, how do you capture them? Well, with gaming and esports, which are two separate things. Okay, basically the university was like, okay, we esports can increase our prestige and our student population. Okay, so they started building esport programs. That have the competitive side which is for players have a talent you know they give the scholarship for them to train and compete for university there's online and LAN events in-person events there's also areas which is within the esports for content creation production graphic design the social media of the esports program the, even rather the marketing of the esports program there's like different scholarships that the esports program gives apart from the competitive so they're you're attracting students okay for like every student can be part of the esports program they don't have to be talented gamers but they have to have a passion in gaming and what happens <laughs> there's a lot of students that have a passion for gaming you know <laughs> so the students that never felt represented they feel represented and if they have a talent in gaming it, it can even be like as a football or, or basketball players well considered athletes that before that than usually so like to resume prestige and i'm putting up the student population of the universities esports has has been crucial and it's a sports that is growing the most out of the other traditional sports and it's bringing more students to universities that have esports programs so in what ways do esports programs at universities and colleges benefit international students who are also esport players same reason why athletes go to u.s universities and the same with esports like usually universities like in Europe or in other continents as well, if you want to continue being a high-performance athlete, you have to choose between university or being a high-performance athlete, succeed or not. 99% of it's the, the times it's not, okay? You don't succeed. So when you don't succeed, you've been for five, six years, what am I going to do now? <laughs> in the US, they also like, okay, you can have this high-performance environment, continue pursuing your sports, but also get a degree. And they're very flexible with this. The same with esports. More opportunities, it's not a niche. There's high school kids even dropping out of school for pursuing a competitive career because even now, like, if you're 16, you have to go pro because maybe your your career would end when you're 25 now it's it's getting more extensive because there's like in teams even amateur teams there's psychologists nutritionists athletes, trainers like to expand there before the, there was this taboo of like it's it's, a, it's just a guy eating cheetos and playing video games <laughs> this maybe was 20 years ago but now <laughs> now uh, it's like a professional team you know and uh, yeah basically that so it's for players okay not to have to choose between education and their passion because in the u.s it's possible and now in canada it's growing even better like even more but like the u.s has been doing it for eight years and plus 700 universities that that have esport programs and what are some of the career paths for those students that go through those esport programs the students we sent basically 90 percent study computer science engineering careers and the rest like some business related but it's usually like very stem related base they usually uh, studied a degree say in computer science they train and compete for university and that makes them uh, get a scholarship and depending on the talent and their academics it can be higher 
a lower percentage of the scholarship. They don't have to study esports. Esports is like sports. It's a mean, it's a tool to finance your studies because of your talent. And aside from visibility, what do the universities gain from having students compete in esports? As two sides. It's more like more to attract a community of students that are engaged, like for student retention as well. The the students go see their university team or the students they have a talent in graphic design or content creation, they get to work in the esports program and everything. It's like getting students engaged that are already there or that could potentially be there. Also, like a great recurring tool for universities is this new law, NIL, that got passed, that now companies can work with them and stuff, and there's universities that have even departments that advise students on, on how to work with companies because they're students and athletes, and that's first, and then and they also teach the companies how to work with students. If you're a student, what who do you follow? A boring education institution? or the athlete that is in that institution. You, you will always feel, and we always feel like, identified with an individual, not a third institution, you know? So that's why brands are, are working more with students and also now esports players to attract more students to the university. And also for brands to work with them and so the students also can earn money. A sports scholarship in like football or basketball, you're making millions to the university, but you're not getting anything. Well, you, you're getting a scholarship for your studies, but <laughs> then the top players were like, I'm going to the NBA if I can, you know, if not, I'll continue. But now they're also making money, they can make a brand. And also in the future, when they get job now, if you have a, a good brand, like a good following, that can increase your salary a lot because having followers and engaged followers is, is very useful for a company. And also like, it's very useful for if you don't want to start working in a low entry job. That if you build your brand in your university, then you can go out and continue that and monetize from that. There's a, a lot of ways to monetize through content creation. There's a lot of ways that basic institutions that regulated all of this are giving more opportunities to students because if not, they're going down <laughs> and they need to, you know, to um, actualize, you know. Grow with the times. <laughs> Grow with the times, then. yeah. <laughs> English, my second language. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned community and engagement, which is something you wouldn't probably think of, as you also mentioned before, like 20, 30 years ago when it comes to gaming or esports. What other practices do universities put into place in order to maintain those students' mental health when it comes to all this engagement with technology and Depending on the funding and the size of a uni, which means funding, usually, they have a personal psychologist or they share a psychologist with other traditional teams. There's unis that have an program for like one or two years or three. And also the university makes sure that they focus on their academics as well. If they don't pass, they cannot compete. If they're having any troubles or any of that, there's always a psychologist in the athletic department. And now top universities, top ESOR programs are starting to build esports departments and an athletic departments, not like athletic department, you know, like where esports is just a, another sport, which is esports department, League of Legends, and every esports program in the States, university-wise, is students first, then players. And also, like, the players are going to education institution. They don't want students to get overwhelmed. They are very careful about that, and they support, like, mental health a lot. What would you say to parents that are concerned for their children's well-being when it comes to gaming? Because it's a different generation 
generation of understanding around the amount of time that they get to spend interacting with technology before sending their kids to uni U.S. universities. They're supervised. They have scheduled hours to practice and compete. They also focus on the physical endurance, you know, because they make them do exercise because it improves their cognitive function and makes them perform better. They take care of their diets and their routine is basically athletic training, class, practice. You know, it's very structured. And also, it's all about balance. And for those parents, like, go to the events that your son or daughter will also go. So you get a spectrum, you know, and in every event, there's professional companies organizing, being there. Talk to them. <laughs> so you get how your son or daughter may think or why she or he loves this. Just being more engaged. That's it. So much of building meaningful connections stems from taking an interest in what the person is interested in. Just ask. Just be interested. You never know what you will learn. And being close connected to your kids, I don't know, is the best thing. No? What other kind of communities and networks are formed through eSport programs at universities and colleges? And how do they contribute to student life on campus? What athletic professional sports did not quite accomplish, eSports is. There's a lot of companies that in the tech industry, because 80% of students that gain eSports scholarship study STEM-related careers. So there's a lot of tech companies. A lot of also in the food and beverage now, university-wise, that are putting money in the eSports program and are in giving scholarships to students as well. Also, like for the tech companies, like getting a right fit is very complicated. So they prefer like to invest in an eSports program because they know in the long term the students, how the university formed the students and all the activities that the student took part in those four years or more of education they had. So when they get an internship, the company knows what education they got and how they are as a player and student. To recruit talent, that's a very good funnel. So there's a lot of companies investing our own money in eSport programs. How does an eSport player qualify for a scholarship through you? First, before the meeting, every meeting is with the family. If not, we don't have the meetings. We send them a questionnaire to fill in before the meeting and they fill in their academics. The, also the eSport side, which is depending on the video game. Level or rank, also the VODs, which are the recordings of the player, also the leagues they participated in, the teams they they competed in, and how much budget they have to invest in the university. Because we're not the ones giving the scholarships, it's the universities. And we know how they're looking both on their academics and esports. So if the, um, the student qualifies in these areas, in the questionnaire, then we have the meeting and we explain the esport university ecosystem, the requirements, all the questions they wanted answered, every question to the parents about the process, about living in a state as a student with an esports scholarship and then we send them a proposal with all the process written down with all the costs and then this, the family decides if they can or want uh, start the process with us and then university wise okay um, well we have the players that are good fit so first what universities uh, they go to depends on the grades they had in their English exams contact X universities depending on the degree they want to study the location the size of the university all of the level they want to compete in all of this we take into consideration when segmenting our search we give them options they have interviews with coaches and they have the tryouts and then they decide what you need they want to go to and then we'll do 
take care of the admissions process, also the embassy process, and when they're in the states, any any questions for problems they have, uh, we're there to to assist them. If it's a passing grade, yeah, I mean there's options. If their level of English is great, much better. If it's very basic, no problem. There's universities that that have ESL programs for students that barely speak English to go to university, be part of the team, and do this intensive program of English, and once they finish it into the university subjects first foundational courses and then following up also like depending on what universities the, the family wants or the student wants to go based on the budget their academics and their e-sport level and, and their level of english uh, what we can guarantee them you know because we're not going to work with them if we cannot guarantee them sending them to the u.s in what ways do e-sport programs if any foster diversity and inclusion depending on the ratio of men to women of the university the e-sport program has to have the same ratio <laughs> uh, so that's how they usually have it and also esports is very inclusive it's true that most are men for now there's women and there's a lot of foundations and companies that give uh, scholarships so to minorities okay so that they incentivize minorities to pursue their gaming you know what do you see as the future of esports in higher education and how will it continue to impact students and universities in the coming years well I see universities uh, probably putting more money in esports programs as they see better the results on their student population. What are some of the transferable skills that students learn from playing some of those games? Teamwork, problem solving. Uh, yeah, those are basically the soft skills that come up, but there's a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Can you share a story of a student that has gone through your program and how the student's life has changed for hmm. having gone through that program. Smash Bros. is a video game played in Nintendo. Nintendo is not very keen on promoting Smash Bros. <laughs> he was very good, like one of the top players in Spain, and um, he had a, a sponsor, but like sponsors, teams don't have a, a lot of budget yet, apart from the top teams, which some are, are struggling financially, you know, because uh, that's a different thing. We can go over if you want. Uh, but like, he basically, like, his dad was very supportive, and he basically went to all the tournaments around Spain with him, you know. And like, if you win something, son, it's for covering the cost. And he was playing, competing, covering the cost, traveling. And uh, they basically, I don't know if it was in a community talk that they found out about this. And, and they were like, whoa, this exists. Okay, uh, and we explained it. Um, and they jumped in the process. We got in, in a top national Israel program, which is Fisher College in Boston. And with a very good budget, because Boston living there is super expensive. And Fisher College is super expensive and super affordable thanks to his talent but by doing this there's all these opportunities for you games because you game because you liked it but you didn't expect anything out of it <laughs> but now there's like whoa it's like when football started in the 1900s you know <laughs> like in England like you just play football for fun and then the money started like people started seeing business ideas and players starting to be able to have a, a living but before it was just uh, factory workers just playing football and whatever you know but you did mention some of those bigger sponsors are struggling financially though in what ways and how do you see them recovering from it? The guys that are in charge are the publishers, the ones that make the video games. In, in sports, there's no one owns football or tennis. <laughs> in sports, yes. <laughs> so it's about what the publishers are willing to do or not. And now, years ago, they are, are trying to figure out the best ways to work. Brands, teams, it's not that old, you know, it's not that mature. And there's, there's failures and that's how you learn and that's how you structure. Focus on streetwear. But basically, we're figuring out things by failing and restructuring but uh yeah 
it's a promising future, but like there's been this huge bubble and a lot of like companies that didn't even know what esports really was or didn't talk to like maybe 20 people in the esports industry before getting the esports industry, you know? <laughs> so it's been this huge bubble, a lot of investment and it popped. <laughs> now there is in-person viewing and also virtual viewing of those esports events, correct? How did COVID hurt or benefit this line of sport? COVID basically eliminated all the LAN events, which are the in-person events of esports, and it increased a lot of the online gaming. There's a lot of companies like online tournaments, online, what, everything online, but now the, the pandemic was over, and like the people that they thought that they, they were going to work from home forever, <laughs> they're getting them back to the office. And now the LAN events are better always, you know, and like these online platforms, these online tournament things, the brands are like, no, I, I want to go to LAN events, uh, in-person activation, you know, in-person. And so the, the online is, of course, it's very strong, but like the LAN will always prevail above everything because it's human experience. <laughs> and what are some of the largest events in esports? DreamHack is, is the top one in Europe. Yeah. DreamHack in Spain and Europe, I think, is a, is, a top, is a top one, yeah. What are some of the specific sports within eSports championships? The most Olympic-based eSports is like tennis, cycling, you know, maybe rowing, but there's another eSports, which is like League of Legends, Overwatch, Valorant. So there's like two sides to the eSports thing. Uh, the Olympic Committee uh, is more on the other side. I don't know why. But... When you were 16 years old, who are your heroes in tennis? Rafael Nadal. Not because of his playing style, but like his mentality as a player and then it's very mainstream but Roger Federer because of his playing style most Rafa Nadal uh, now well, we have an advantage that Alcaraz which is he's 19 years old and is, is going to be a, a, one of the top players in the circuit so we have another Spanish guy you know <laughs> <laughs> For more information on Ivan and his work with esports, please visit www.esportian.com. www.esportian.com. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us continue to bring you valuable content and inspiring guests. And don't forget to share this episode with your friends, family, and anyone who could benefit from the message of resilience, empathy, courage, and what an authentic life can look like and feel like when one chooses success on their own terms. Before we wrap up this episode, I want to take a moment to thank our incredible guest speakers for sharing their insights and inspiring us with their journeys. Your story reminds us that no matter what challenges we face, we have the power within us to overcome and thrive. And for our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Strides Podcast. We hope this episode has given you a fresh perspective on resilience, empathy, courage, as well as the tools to cultivate it in your life. Remember, setbacks are not roadblocks, but stepping stones to personal growth and success. Until our next episode, remember to keep taking strides towards your personal growth, embracing resilience, and living a life that fulfills your dreams. Thank you for joining us on InStrides Podcast. Stay resilient, stay inspired, and we'll catch you next time. Music.